Brennan, Ed, Mary, thanks for joining us on Ashto's ETA podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Bernie. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Bernie. I guess the best place to start is to talk about this project that you're involved with, the Native Language Signs. Just to give us an overview, could one of you just tell us what is this project and what's it all about, please? Anin, uh, bonjour. This is Ed Fairbanks, son of Bill and Laura Morse, grandson of John Fairbanks of the Leech Lake Nation, grandson of Georgiana Parker of the White Earth Nation, Bear Clan pillager of the Leech Lake Reservation. Bernie, this started as a concept of the tribes wanting to have a notice to the traveling public that you're entering the sovereign nations. And one of the elders that I heard talk about is you go to Canada and it says, welcome to Canada. Mm -hmm. But if you go to Quebec, in the language of Quebec, it says, welcome to Quebec. The tribes never understood why this was a problem. So in the desire to try and move forward on this, MnDOT used a group called the Advocacy Council on Tribal Transportation, which was a development of a technical group where the tribal governments appointed official representatives, the senior management of MnDOT and senior management of Minnesota Federal Highway sit quarterly and talk about transportation issues in Indian country. And this was a significant one because there's an unwritten policy that English is the law of the land. And the problem is, is that that might be true, except for any state that you look at, you have native tongues on cities and counties and et cetera. And so the tribes just simply wanted to have the sovereign understanding that a traveler is coming within their boundaries. Mm -hmm. So that's how this started. Minnesota DOT and Iowa DOT are working together on this project. Brennan, maybe you could tell us a little bit about how they connected and how they decided to work together on this particular project. Yeah, I think this is a really good example of some positive cross-pollination. We had the pleasure of having Teresa Martin and Ed Fairbank down to our 2017 Tribal Summit. And one of the gifts that Teresa and, and Ed brought with them were some examples of the dual language signs that uh, MnDOT had worked on establishing with both of their Dakota tribes and their Ojibwe tribes. And of course, um, as you might imagine, with some of the tribes that we had present at the summit, it was kind of the envy of the room to see these really <laughs> terrific signs. You know, a lot of the tribes that we work with crossed Iowa from Dakota bands to Iowa, Odo, Winnebago, Ho-Chunk, Pawnee, obviously the Meskwakis, who are headquartered here in Iowa. It was really kind of an eye-opening experience for a lot of us who hadn't seen these firsthand or driven past them that, you know, this is a really good way to communicate to the, the traveling public more about local indigenous communities. And obviously for the tribes we work with, you know, there's a really strong connection to continuing to keep, you know, language at a forefront of educational aspects for the tribes, as well as language revitalization programs. So, it just seemed like one of those opportunities where there were, we could do a lot with a process and a, and a product, really, that we create thousands of around the state. I mean, we've got signs all over for all kinds of subjects and safety issues, and dual language seemed like a really good opportunity for us to further connect with the tribes that we work with. Ed and Brennan, you both talked about the tribes that were involved with this. 
How have they been involved in the process of rolling out these signs? I, I know, Ed, you talked about how it is a, a somewhat complicated process in terms of defining where the boundaries are for the various sovereign lands. Could one of you or Mary tell us a little bit about how that process has worked with actually putting this into practice, not just agreeing to it, but actually putting the signs in the ground on the highways where folks can see them? If I may, uh, first of all, I want to thank our friends from Iowa for the invite. That was one of the most pleasant and spiritually gratifying experiences to talk to folks that earnestly wanted to see good things come about from a relationship that they have with their state. And it just was wonderful. What has happened here in Minnesota is that in many states, the tribes have large landholders and they buy more lands. The Minneapolis area, which is Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Iowa, buy more land than all the rest of the Bureau of Indian Affairs combined. Hmm. And by doing that, then they go through the process of putting it into trust. The problem is, is as tribes have compacted and 638 contracted services from the Bureau of Indian Affairs, their technical capacity has diminished. And so we haven't had a GIS expert in our Bureau region for a long time. Therefore, the maps are not being updated. There's an agreement that one of our technical people, a guy named Peter Morey from our GIS group, MnDOT, found that there's an agreement between Census Bureau and the BIA because Census has a lot of money. They're going out and dealing with tribes. They are coming back with data that they're trying to update mapping. The problem is we forgot tribes. So in Minnesota, we came up with a process where the fiercely independent tribes of Minnesota, all 11 have a separate agreement with Census and MnDOT. The data goes to MnDOT from the tribe, goes to census, census sends it to the bureau, it comes back, and we have a process that we update our maps every six months, meaning that the state agencies and the tribes all have the exact same location of boundaries and where these signs are placed so that we are reducing the conflict over these dual language signs. To roll them out has been also an incredible process. We have a policy to ensure that we have consistency. And so the tribes in MnDOT came up with a policy, and that policy then that the tribes initially pay for the first signs, they send in their design, MnDOT works with them, and then MnDOT puts the signs up for the tribe. Mm -hmm. And we maintain the signs in the process that they are within our right-of-way. And it has a long-term permanent relationship between the individual tribe and the MnDOT. Let me ask a question about indigenous languages. As I understand it, I'm not an expert certainly on this, not all of the indigenous languages initially had written components to them. Mary, perhaps you can speak to this from the Ojibwe perspective. Was there always a written Ojibwe language and has there been difficulty in creating signs in letters and, and language? Anin, Bujo, Mary Adam, Dujnakaz, Gavababi, Ganakag, Ishkunagan, Megazine, Dudame. Thank you for the question, Bernie. You're correct that Ojibwe was not a written language. Um, most of our native languages were not written languages, but an oral, oral only. And um, as you said, I too am not an expert in any way, um, just out of honor and respect and to those who came before us and learning the language that living where we do today in the ways that we do and having being able to live in both worlds, meaning observing and revitalizing and using our language and um, practicing our traditional cultural ways of life. 
and also walking in this uh, Euro world of career and living in such a way of technology and all the things that we deal with on that side of things. And so, no, it wouldn't have been common to have a sign that had written language in Ojibwe Moen or in Dakota. Um, so this is an advancement for our youth and for revitalizing our languages that we're still here to see that language, our language is alive. And there's just so much importance around those words, written or oral, that bring meaning to our people. As these signs have been installed, what does this mean to the sovereign tribes and nations when they see these signs? What kind of a reaction have you heard from people who are living on the reservations to the signage that is on the highways? I was previously an elementary teacher, and so we have had reactions all the way from our youngest speakers to our oldest speakers, along with our tribal government, tribal leaders, and those living in our communities. And when I say the language is alive, the language is living. It has a spirit. And so one of the quotes I shared with Teresa Martin earlier was, we are not losing our language. The language is losing us. And that is a quote by a white earth elder, Joe Aganash, meaning that before European contact, our language was everything we needed is within our language, our stories, our values, our teachings, lessons for our children as they grow. And the day and time we live in now, understanding how children learn to read one step is environmental print. So when they see a Walmart sign, or a Dairy Queen, or a Cheerios box, children are able to make that connection before they're actually able to read those words. On White Earth, when we did the sign project, it was more than the boundary signs. Our signs included geographical markers, and some of our, it's been a project and process of having our buildings and our stores reflect the Ojibwe language as well. So for our child learning language in school, as we revitalize and do this revitalization work, be able to see that Ojibwe language reflected when they're driving down the road with their grandpa or their auntie or their parents on that school bus that they spend so many days a week traveling to and from school, that that is their language. And they get to see it and make that connection to place as well as learning it in the classroom. So it's been really significant. It's been really empowering and so positive to see that. Comments that we've heard and feedback were just that this is where we live. This is who we are. This is our homeland. We don't have another place to go back to. And so seeing the, the language there has been encouraging for a lot of families and for tribal leadership and exercising that sovereignty to say, this is the first language and the signs that White Earth, you will see the Ojibwe Moen is on the top and the English is on the bottom. Bernie, if I could add to Mary's point, we're just getting ready to install our first dual language sign next month and um, similar layout with the uh, native Meskwaki on top and the English translation below. But one of the really powerful moments in kind of sharing and, and walking through this process was when the sign was actually printed at our print shop, the sign tech sent a photo around, you know, it was kind of cool to actually see it pretty remarkable. And I, should share that with one of the elders that we we're working with to develop the sign. There's a lot of thought that goes into the language that's going to be used and the location. Um, you know, those aren't light decisions to be made, but she shared back 
Brennan, it was really emotional to see that sign for the first time. I, I don't know if I had anticipated that. Mm. And I think when you think about the roles that we play interacting between transportation and working with Native communities and Indigenous people, that's a really meaningful intersection. And as much as I had studied these dual language signs in other states and kind of gathered information from colleagues and you know, kind of took a master class from Ed and Teresa a few years ago. <laughs> I don't think I had anticipated just how significant that feeling and that emotion, you know, that reaction is to when you see it. I think in part I'm desensitized because I see so many signs and, you know, we look at hundreds of projects a year in the transportation world, but it was really important to stop, slow down, take a deep breath. And just soak that in on how rich of an experience that is for a partner, a stakeholder, an elder that means a lot to the work we do. And it was really cool to share that. Brennan and Mary, you both touched on this a bit. And I think all three of you can respond to this because all three of you have worked for state DOTs in Ed's and Mary's case, Minnesota, and in Brennan's case, Iowa. How has this project? change the relationship between the state departments of transportation and the sovereign nations and tribes? So as a tribal member living and working on my, on my home reservation of White Earth, when I set out to do this project, I had first seen an article where Fond du Lac had some signs, and that's another Minnesota Chippewa tribe about three hours from White Earth where I live. And doing language revitalization work, I just thought, gosh, why don't we have those here? And so I set about writing it for a grant and applying and just doing my work and working for a sovereign tribal government is much like working for a state government. My counterparts at the state, they don't know the interworkings of a tribal government. Mm -hmm. Well, even though I'm a dual citizen of Minnesota, I did not even think to go on Minnesota's Department of Transportation website or call them or seek guidance or advice on how to do this sign project. I just set about doing the sign project. <laughs> I did the research with an elder. We chose sites and made sure translations were correct and did some guidance work. And, and so basically this project brought Minnesota DOT and Mariotto, White Earth Band member working in the education department together. The sign company I hired had all this lingo and information and we went through the reflective process and the letter size and I did all this work and one of our signs were taken down and I had a community member say, Mary, someone took down our sign. And I thought, well, there are really cool signs. Maybe someone like took it down to hang it in their bedroom wall or something. However, I quickly learned that that was not the case, that I had not followed any of the guidance regulations that were distributed by Minnesota Department of Transportation. As nice as they looked, the fine post did not meet the uh, requirements for accidents and crashes for the breakaway points. I learned all kinds of acronyms and <laughs> language that I had never heard of prior. And that brought the relationship with my department and Minnesota Department of Transportation together to really push forward. And it helped us on the district level at, the Be at Becker County, who right away that sign was located in. And it built an ongoing relationship, not only the pride that it brought our band members and tribal government to have the signage up, 
It also built a stronger relationship with our local Department of Transportation folks that work at District 4 and really forged my friendship with Ed as well. Bernie, I want to echo Mary's sentiments here, and it's we probably don't do the podcast justice if we don't mention the manual for uniform traffic control <laughs> devices. And our, Speaking of acronyms. <laughs> our traffic and safety brothers and sisters know that very well as the MUTCD, which last time I checked is 862 pages in its current version. But the larger point that I very much hear in, in Mary's sharing is these signs reach across so many different lanes of traffic and project development. You know, like I personally come from a background of historic preservation and anthropology and archaeology. Never did I imagine I would be working, you know, with the Meskwaki Nation to place a first native language sign adjacent to the highway that leads to the Meskwaki settlement. To me, it's fascinating that Mary has an educational background, the elders that we've worked with to develop the sign, obviously come from the language department, some of my colleagues in historic preservation. And it's it's just hard to underscore the value of bringing that large group together, not to mention, you know, the DOT engineers and the planners. It's really unique. And, and it's it's one of those transportation stories that you don't come across every day. It's not usual. And that's what makes it pretty terrific. We obviously are talking today about Iowa and Minnesota, but there are other states in the union that have sovereign tribes and nations that are part of their territory. Are these kinds of signs being placed in other states that you're aware of? That's a really good question. I'll plug our Ashto Community of Practice Tribal Liaison Group. Uh, We meet monthly. Um, I did a little informal survey last year, and there are eight states that um, have active native dual language sign programs. I think Minnesota leads the way with their really robust program. Wisconsin also recently placed some dual language signs. New York has had some for years. Michigan, Hawaii, Oklahoma, Arizona. And then, as I mentioned, us down in Iowa, we're, we're placing our first sign next month. There's quite a group of states, and I think you're going to see more states that are interested in doing this kind of work. And again, I I have to cheers Ed and Teresa for helping pollinate of their neighbors to the south. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully we have people who are listening to this from other states that would like to do something similar in their states. For those who maybe haven't really got this process started, Ed, maybe you can talk a little bit about since you were involved with this uh, from the get-go in Minnesota, any tips, suggestions you would offer for other states that want to get involved with something like this? Miigwech. Trust. That is the single most important factor here. We're in this short time talking about something that took years and years in Minnesota to come to some kind of conclusion. But in that, like Mary said, in, in the beginning processes of White Earth, where they developed a better relationship with their district, you need solid leadership both on the tribal government side and the state of Minnesota, or state side. So in Minnesota, we had we were extremely fortunate to have uh, Commissioner Charles Zelly, and he worked individually and collectively with all the tribes on transportation issues. We came up with a government-to-government policy on how we will deal That was way before the state of Minnesota's Executive 1310. And if nobody's read that, please go to Governor's Executive Orders 
read 1310 because it talks about instead of we'll talk to the Indians when we want to, it is you will, commissioners, go meet with the tribes every single year. The trust comes in that when the tribal governments wanted to do this, Charles Ellie decided we will try to figure out a way to do this. And we had a partnership then of the tribes, of the state, and most important of all, your federal trustee, federal highway. You need those folks to be involved on a state-by-state issue. Then you need to come up with a process. We encourage everybody to read our um, uh, Dakota Ojibwe language signing policy, which will help you understand what Mary had to go through and learn from what not to do. It also helped Brennan and, and others to look at kind of the, how should we say, the footprint of how this is going to happen. But most important of all, nobody can go it alone. As this mud thing that our friend Brendan talked about is a creature that is almost intolerable to deal with and you can never defeat it. So you got to work around it. <laughs> and, and so that's what you need to do. You need to have trust. You need to have this relationship. And for goodness sakes, bring in tribes. Please bring in your federal trustee, the federal highway. Brennan, you mentioned the MUTCD. Are these types of signs addressed in the current edition of the MUTCD or perhaps the latest edition, which I believe is in process of being released soon? To my knowledge, they are not. They do require deep consideration on behalf of the DOT and the Federal Highway Administration. And I think to Ed's last point in terms of trust, another really important critical value is respect. In our case, for a tribe to come forth and you know make a formal request to us and say, this is something that is really important for kids that are growing up in, in this area, they need to see this. Our non-native um, neighbors need to see it. It really does focus on giving respect to those folks that we work with and we see as really critical partners. And so I'm sure, <laughs> as the famous song would say, M-U-T-C-D knows how to spell respect, R-E-S-P-C-T. <laughs> but you know, the reality is that's that's where these kinds of partnerships grow and, and send their roots deep is through both groups having respect for, you know, the processes, the concerns, and, you know, what the vision of this kind of effort can look like when it concludes. Bernie, can we add one thing? In Minnesota, with reservations and with ceded territories, the 12 tribal governments of Minnesota have a jurisdictional interest in over 55% of the entire state. So one of the things that's happened recently that was probably one of the capstones of my career is that the chairman from Grand Portage, a guy named Norman Duchamp, wanted the 1854 treaty area to be boundary so that people knew that they were coming on to this area where tribes retained the hunting, fishing, and gathering. And we could never get that achieved. We worked through the tribal policy, the Dakota Ojibwe language policy, and again with Federal Highway, and we came up with the process to actually start marking our ceded territories. Unfortunately, Norman died, but in November last year, 2021, the first sign went up for the 1854 treaty boundary, and we will uh, finish 12 more signs marking that, and then move on to the other ceded territories. So not only is it the 11 reservations of Minnesota, but it's also the ceded territories of Minnesota. I want to thank all three of you for educating me personally on this, something that I was not terribly familiar with, and I'm sure educating our listeners as well. 
to become more familiar with what's being done in Minnesota and Iowa and on a national level. Our guests on this episode of Ashto's ETAP podcast have been Brennan Dolan, the Cultural Resources Team Leader and Tribal Liaison at Iowa DOT, Ed Fairbanks, the Retired Tribal Liaison for Minnesota DOT, and Mary Otto, the Tribal State Relations Training Manager in MnDOT's Office of Tribal Affairs. Ed, Mary, Brennan, thank you all very much for being part of the podcast. Miigwech. Miigwech, Bernie. Thanks for having us, Bernie.